Welcome to the Education Marketing Leader Podcast with Chris Raposo. If you're looking to dive into the latest industry insights, draw inspiration from education success stories, or just want to sharpen your marketing skills, you're in the right place. Here, we bring you a diverse range of voices from experts and leaders in the field, offering you a unique blend of professional development and practical strategies. Whether you want to understand your audience better, stay updated with the latest tech trends in marketing, or expand your professional network, we've got you covered. So while you're driving on your morning commute or winding down after a busy day, let's explore the dynamic world of education marketing together. How important is mobile optimization in the design of a higher ed website? And what are some of the key considerations in that area? One of the things that I learned a few years ago, um, actually from a, from from someone at Facebook, uh, is is thumb optimization. And so looking at where the tap targets are for someone that holds a phone in one hand, because most of us hold a phone in one hand. So taking, taking into account where people are going to be tapping, making sure that when you design uh, maybe a page that's got a, a request for information form, RFI form on it, uh, that the you know, the field is right where your thumb's going to be, or that the submit button is right where your thumb is going to be, or making sure that if you're going to put something like a chat bot on your website, that it isn't covering up stuff where your thumb is at that needs to be hit. I, I encounter this all the time. We all have to do cookie, uh, cookie preference stuff now. And then we all have, everyone has a chat bot now and the chat bot covers up the little close or accept button on the, on the cookie guy, or it, it covers up a, a, a critical, uh, call to action to apply or request information. And so you can't click it and it's just frustrating and annoying. The The main thing with UX, uh, from whether it's mobile or desktop, it's reducing friction. Just get out of people's way. Hello and welcome back everyone to another episode of the Education Marketing Leader with Chris Raposo. Today I have the pleasure of welcoming Joel Goodman, the Principal and CEO at Bravery Media. Joel, thanks for being on the show and welcome. Thanks, Chris. Happy to be here. Awesome. Hey, Joel, I've been following you on LinkedIn for a little bit and I I, I found out that you are a result-focused higher ed digital strategist, marketer, designer, and developer with nearly two decades of industry experience. In, in 2012, you started Bravery Media with a goal of propelling institutions of higher education towards their full potential. Can you give us a little bit of a background about your journey, why you chose to serve the higher ed sector, and a bit more about Bravery Media? Yeah, so right out of undergrad, um, typical story for folks my age coming out into a recession, hard to find other jobs. Uh, my undergrad background was in media promotions, and so I wanted to I wanted to get into marketing. Originally, I wanted to get into uh, marketing for record labels, and then I had a little taste of the music industry and decided it wasn't for me, uh, and got a job at my my undergrad alma mater. And so I worked in uh, I worked on campuses for about six years at two different institutions. Uh, following that last year in the North Chicago suburbs, I had just finished up a master's degree. Um, my wife and I kind of looked at what was going on in our lives and said, "We need to get out of here. Where do we go?" Um, and so we packed up in 2012, uh, like about summertime of 2012, and we uh, moved to Austin, Texas, and I started Bravery. And then, uh, yeah, we've been 
I, I just used kind of the network that I had built up those six years through conferences and, uh, you know, Twitter. It was like the birth of Twitter, you know, the, the real, the real high point of Twitter before all the brands took over. Um, and, uh, yeah, ended up, uh, starting, starting up my agency, doing, doing web work. I'd always been just the web guy, you know, army of one sort of thing. And, uh, yeah, these days I get to work with the team, which is awesome. And I get to work on a lot of different projects, which is awesome. And with a lot of different institutions and, uh, hopefully, yeah, just really help them reach that potential. I, I, that was the thing with me getting into higher ed. I just always had this feeling while working on campuses, but either, even as a student and being involved in different things that, our institutions have so much potential, uh, but the focus ends up kind of going in all kinds of different places because of just the the strange mix of business and non-business and academic and you know all the all the different all the different personalities and and kind of backgrounds that everyone has. And so hopefully we help bring a little bit of focus at least to that web area and and help reach that potential that our institutions have. Yeah, yeah. Talking about web, I after following you for a while, I know you have a passion to make sure that higher websites um, are user friendly, so that the potential students or the prospective students will find what they're looking for in order to possibly enroll in an institution. And those probably is some of the the work that you do with your clients that are higher ed institutions. So there's always every student has unique needs and different behaviors, but how do the unique needs and behaviors of today's prospective students shape the strategies for designing a user-friendly higher ed websites? What, what's your insight there? Yeah, we at Bravery take an approach of data first. I think there's, you know, you look at like industry best practice and sure, it's kind of a good rule of thumb. Um, a lot of times, though, uh, agencies or, or higher ed institutions that feel like they can't afford to work with an outside partner, uh, they kind of stop there, right? It's like, well, we've got the best practice in place. This is the best thing, right? The the best practice is the best. Uh, but to your point, you know, users are different. Every institution is different. Every institution has a different story to tell. Every institution has different goals. And so we always go back to wanting to learn about the users that are going to be hitting someone's website. So we, we always start with a data approach. We do user research. Um, we, you know, we talk to people, we, we analyze all the data of how people are already using the website. We look at other data across the, the industry and how other websites are being used. And then we look a little bit outside of higher ed because the same students that are hitting a, a college or university website are interacting with hundreds or thousands of other web experiences every single day and more, more like they, they interact with those more than they interact with our websites and so some some level of assumption gets into into the the mind of these prospective students and these you know these website users because they they're learning these patterns they're becoming trained in how different things are supposed to react higher ed's a little slow to jump on that i mean higher ed's a little slow to jump on a lot of things but in particularly when it, in particular when it comes to, to user experience design, we'll design a website and we'll let it sit for five, six, seven years. Um, and a lot of times you, institutions are, you know, they're understaffed. Uh, most institutions are, you know, people, people that work in web and, and marketing, especially are stretched very thin. Um, you know, they may not be paid what they should be paid to do the work they need to do. They may not be given the professional development opportunities to level up their skills. And so the website just kind of sits and languishes uh, using 
maybe these user experience practices that honestly were probably outdated by the time the website launched because a website redesign process takes at least a year in higher ed. And so, you know, how do we, how do we go about fixing those things? And a lot of that, as I was saying, comes with starting with data, but then it also is putting in place, putting in place methods to continue measuring while the website's operating and then building sustainable practices for going back and changing things and feeling like you have the franchise and the license to update an experience or, you know, do some AB testing on an RFI form or change out a photo and see if that works better than the super heavy drone video that you had on the homepage. And then at the end, go back and test it again, right? So you start with testing, you test in the middle, and then you test at the end. And you make sure that you recognize the website is just a growing, changeable thing because the expectations of our users are constantly changing uh, with, with the rest of the digital world around them. Yeah, let's say somebody takes on your recommendations, they move that drone video away and they put that image on there. I know that you posted something about the difference between a PNG and a JPEG. Which format should be that image? Uh, I mean, between those two, a JPEG. And there are also, you know, there are a lot of modern uh, image formats. And I always recommend that institutions put in put a an edge image optimization uh, service or CDN in front of in front of their website because it'll automate changing that format to the the best and smallest and fastest possible loading one that a device can handle. So the newer formats that are coming out, uh, WebP is one that uh, was backed by Google and is now, I mean, every modern browser supports it. Um, AVIF is another one. It's AVIF. Uh, there are there are new ones that are still kind of on the cusp and being integrated into, into modern formats. I think ones like JPEG XL. So the the formats change, and and I think it goes the, the issue that that comes out of this is that so many institutions don't have the staffing to keep up with that, or don't allow their staff the time to keep up with those changes. Um, and then a lot of times, yeah, I mean, you know, to to your point and the point of my post, like a lot of institutions don't give their don't give their content uh, publishers the right training to know the difference between a PNG file and a JPEG file or a WebP file or, you know, and all those different things. PNG files are always going to be larger. Um, and the larger the photo uh, file size wise, the slower your website's going to load and the slower your website loads, the worse your conversion rates are going to be. And the worse your conversion rates are going to be, the fewer applicants you're going to have to your institution. And so it just comes with optimizing all the way, all the way down the chain. Yeah. Absolutely. And you just briefly touched on the low staff and, you know, everybody's overwhelmed. There's a lot of work to do, but in your experience, what are the top three elements that every higher ed website must have to ensure a great user experience? Yeah. I mean, I think the first and, and to be honest, probably easiest is site speed. Um, you, all the tools are out there. Um, you, you need your website to be fast. Uh, I think when we were talking earlier, uh, prep for, prepping for the show, I, I mentioned this study that that Google did when they released their uh, Core Web Vitals uh, kind of set that, that goes into the Lighthouse speed test. And uh, what they found was that for every website that takes three seconds to load, your conversion rate is cut in half, like 50% of those people drop off. 
And that's huge, especially in an industry where we need every single person that is likely to apply to actually apply. When you're throwing up a roadblock like that, when someone, uh, you know, maybe it's someone that lives in a rural area and only has access to the internet on their phone and they still are sitting on 3G networks out in the country someplace or, uh, you know, they're on really congested mobile networks in, in an urban setting. If If your website doesn't load for them on mobile, you lost them. They're going to go somewhere else. They're going to go to an institution's website that loads fast, and they're going to feel like they're actually taken care of um, and that that institution cares about them. Uh, having pretty photos and videos is is not not something that makes your website better. <laughs> like it, it, it can support it, but if you don't have the site speed in place, uh, then you're, that, that doesn't matter. So number one, site speed. Uh, number two, I... I think having the proper journeys in place on your website, like actually leading people to take an action. So many times we look at higher ed websites and it's it's a vanity exercise. It's all about our ego as an institution. We want to show how cool we are when in reality, the people that are coming to your website only want to take care of the task that's in their mind. They are coming to say, or they're, they're coming to ask you, do you have my program? How much does it cost? And now how can I get more information about it? And if you muddy that up with, you know, 10 news stories on your homepage that no one cares about, no one, a, a prospective high school student does not care about, uh, you know, the assistant in the registrar's office that won in a, a local award in your small town at your private college. Like they, they just don't care. And, and like, it's great, like write those stories and brag about those people, but don't put it in the way of, a student finding their way to the information that they're looking for. So mapping those journeys on your website and making sure that every piece of content is there for a reason, I think is the number two most important thing that that institutions need to, to take a look at with this. Um, third, I think it's really just making sure that the whatever whatever is powering the website, um, whether it's a content management system, whether it's uh, you know internal processes, Make sure that, that that tech is helping your staff get their jobs done and not getting in the way of getting their jobs done. The workflows need to be there to allow them to be productive and efficient in what they're doing. Because if they're productive and efficient, your website's only going to improve because they can spend less time fighting with the software and more time actually making the website something that's good and workable for people. Let's talk about a little bit about the content strategy that we just briefly touched on. Yeah. How do you balance informative content with engaging visuals to keep prospective students interested and move them through the enrollment funnel? Yeah, I'm, you know, I honestly am not convinced that visuals are the things that engage students. So I, I think we place too much emphasis on having really cool graphics or having lots of videos on a page you know if you if you have five videos and let's say they're all linked from like youtube or something youtube's loading the same javascript like five times on that website and making it slower and then you're giving these prospects a jumping off point from your website to get lost on youtube which is you know a huge search engine now like it's 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 oh it's not social media anymore it's its own thing and they'll get lost and they'll end up you know watching I don't know if they're like me, they're going to end up watching, you know, like cooking videos and stuff on, you know, learning the banjo or something. And yeah, and then you've lost them. They're not, they're not in that context of, of your institution anymore. Um, 
and graphics can be heavy. And so like the more images that you put on a page, the the harder it's going to be. And a lot of times, you know, we want fun animations and parallax and all this motion and graphics and stuff. Well, that can get in the way of accessibility if you don't put that, you know, if you don't put uh, reduced motion settings in place in your CSS that can get you in trouble. Um, but also like a lot of times it just weighs it down if you're not working with someone that's doing that in an efficient way. So I, I think first it comes down to structuring your your written content and making sure that that is in an easy to parse kind of format. So it could be numbered lists or bulleted lists. It could be, you know, all the all the old writing for the web uh, UX principles that, that have been around for decades, they still apply. Like chunk your stuff together. Don't give them a wall of paragraphs that, you know, makes it feel like you have to read a novel. Make sure that your website is as clear as possible. Like I, I kind of facetiously talk about this internally. Like, just assume that the people coming to your website don't know anything, and you just need to be clear and get to the point of all that content. Because honestly, they don't know anything. Most of them have no idea who you are. They don't know what you offer, or they have a light knowledge of it, and they still just want to get to the point. None of us have time to sit and read flowery stories about every single point. We want to say like, okay, cool. Uh, how do I apply? One, two, three, four, five. You know, just go through the exact process and say, this is the thing. This is the thing. Don't use the flowery language from you know the whoever wrote it from the you know the registrar's office. Make sure that you have marketers writing that stuff. If your content is clear and laid out in a way that people can understand it and take action, then the visuals are just kind of icing on the cake. They don't need most most people don't need to stay engaged on your website because they are there to do something. As long as the the content is answering their questions, they're going to be engaged. And it's not really worth, in my opinion, anyway, going after people that aren't interested in you uh, that happen to land on your website with pretty pictures and and videos because just I just don't think they make a difference. There's no data supporting that. Yeah, that's a good point, especially what you just said with the flowery flowery language. It makes me think of when I'm trying to find a recipe for for a dish I want to make and the first five paragraphs are like opening paragraphs. I'm just like, I want to just know the, which ingredients I need to use and right. how to, you know? 100%. No, I mean, that's a, that's a great, that's a great analogy, especially like, you know, as we're recording this, like I'm prepping for making Thanksgiving dinner this week. And I'm like, cool, I, I gotta, <laughs> what do I got together? It's the same thing. You look up a recipe and then it's great. Cool. I got to read through a whole story. That's not even talking about the process. It's talking about, you know, someone's grandma's something or other. And yeah, it's, it gets in the way of actually the thing that I want from that page. And sure, it might be well, for them anyway, better than for SEO. It's not better for SEO because Google looks at that UX experience. And if you're giving visitors what they want, and if they're getting off the page real fast because they can't find it or they're getting lost, like that's affecting your your search engine rankings. Yeah. And you 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 touched on earlier, you didn't say digital natives, but let's assume we got Gen Zers coming to your website. They don't just surf the, the internet anymore they basically live on the internet and they are used to modern interfaces user experience and then when you go to a higher ed website that may be 10 years behind that 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 creates that sort of friction now i want to touch a little bit about on personalization yeah not the creepy type that's like <laughs> it follows you to all the other sites but more about the personalization that 
enhances the user experience on a higher websites without infringing on user privacy. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I think that I think that the effective ways to go about uh, personalization when you know you don't have a lot of data about you know when they haven't like signed up for something already when they're not in your CRM uh, is really just trying to make sure that the kind of supplemental content that you put into your website is matching what their interests are. So if you find someone that hits your site and you know you notice that they're looking at engineering programs might make sense to, you know, highlight some content related to engineering. So maybe it's a news story. Maybe, it, you know, you, you know, they're already past that. Like, do you have my program kind of point of view? So now you can say, oh, well, they, you know, they get to, they, they're going and looking at financial aid and tuition. Well, okay. If you have special requirements for that application or for that, you know, that, that financial aid, uh, maybe it's scholarships and grants or whatever for people that are going to be engineering majors, raise that content to the service, like show them that in the process of what they're doing. And then when they go back to the homepage, like whatever news stories you have or whatever student stories you're highlighting, make sure they're related in some way, maybe not, maybe not entirely on the nose, but maybe a little bit on the nose related to that, uh, that idea of wanting to go in engineering and the things that you can do. And, you know, don't show them stuff from, you know, your medical, your, your medical programs or, or the art, you know, art programs or whatever else, or at least not as much. And so I think, a, personally, I think a light touch is the thing that makes it makes your experience a little bit more hospitable, it allows people to feel like they're cared for and also puts a little bit of surprise into the into it. You don't want to surprise them out like route, right? Like you were saying, like creepy, like, yeah, insert their name somewhere. <laughs> page like hey i didn't give you my name what's going on but if you can if you can make the experience feel more natural um that's that's a that's a way to care for your users on the website um i, I think a lot of times in higher ed you know personalization isn't explained well enough and so it, it became a buzzword at one point so everyone was just like we gotta do personalization and then they're thinking like email personalization where you're putting merge tags into stuff it's it's different spectrums right it's it's different spectrums than that no one no one shops for a program like they shop for a new hairbrush on amazon uh so find ways to make personalization something that fits in the context of that experience not trying to force in something from another you're not e-commerce right don't force in the e-commerce stuff into into higher ed <laughs> Let's, let's pivot back to mobile optimization. I like the example you gave earlier of somebody living in a rural area and who may only have access to a university's website on their mobile phone. And yeah. there's an increase of mobile devices, people looking at websites on a mobile device, whether they're on a commute, on a train or wherever. How important is mobile optimization in the design of a higher ed website? And what are some of the key considerations in that area? Yeah, I mean it's critical. I across higher ed, you know, we've we've been redesigning and auditing and uh doing consulting on higher ed websites for uh you know 11 years as of this recording, more than 11 years as of this recording. And what we see what we've seen over that decade plus is an increase in in mobile usage. So uh, pretty much any institution that I mean there are some outliers, but across higher ed, you're at a minimum 50% of your users, you know, are, are are accessing your website from a mobile device. Um, it's a non-negotiable. You can't have a website that has a terrible mobile experience and it's really good on desktop because you can't guarantee that those people are going to be on your desktop website until they're actually students. And 
I mean, maybe they will, but, you know, I mean, they, they can, but you can't guarantee that they will. So if your mobile site or if you're, if, if the mobile uh, version of your site is not fully featured, is not fully usable from touch devices, again, that's a whole nother bucket of conversion that you're just, you're just losing, right? So some of the things to keep in mind, uh, what we always work on when we are, we have a, we have a, a audit or like a research project that we put together called the website strategy guide. And we do a deep dive audit, uh, into a university or college's website. And we go through and just basically give our clients a playbook for every single thing that they can do to improve their website, uh, site speed down to like what JavaScript to get rid of, what CSS to refactor. Um, and then we we do a dive into their analytics. We we look at some of the UX things. And so one of the things that I learned a few years ago, um, actually from a from from someone at Facebook, uh, is is thumb optimization. And so looking at where the tap targets are for someone that holds a phone in one hand, because most of us hold a phone in one hand. Um, and if we uh if we're gonna make people switch hands or use two hands to to hit a touch target someplace they'll probably just leave like you want to make that convenient but a lot of times we still follow these these uh patterns of having a menu button in the top right corner where like if you're left-handed maybe you can stretch up to that top corner but if you're right-handed it's really difficult right um so taking taking into account where people are going to be tapping making sure that when you design uh, maybe a page that's got a, a request for information form, RFI form on it, uh, that the you know the field is right where your thumb's going to be, or that the submit button is right where your thumb is going to be, or making sure that if you're going to put something like a chat bot on your website, that it isn't covering up stuff where your thumb is at that needs to be hit. I, I encounter this all the time. We all have to do cookie uh, cookie preference stuff now, and then we all have everyone has a chat bot now, and the chat bot covers up the little close or accept button on the on the cookie guy, or it it covers up a, a, a critical uh, call to action to apply or request information, and so you can't click it, and it's just frustrating and annoying. the The main thing with UX and from whether it's mobile or desktop, it's reducing friction. Just get out of people's way. But we we so often don't look at that uh, from our actual devices, right? We'll we'll do like we'll work with an agency or we'll do it in house and we'll do a mobile version of the site and we're doing full mobile responsive all the way up to desktop. But then we don't load it on our phone and actually see how it is to interact with those different devices. Um, that's the main thing. It's 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 making sure that there's no friction there. I think the second part of this, so we touched on it way earlier, so I won't go in depth, is that site speed thing again, because phones are, they're, they're smaller. Uh, they don't need to have these giant images or giant videos loaded onto them. Um, and a lot of times we're not, we're not optimizing the sizes of images they're going to load at different breakpoints. And that technology exists and has existed for a decade. So we should be doing that anyway, loading a small size image for a small phone because it's going to be a lot faster. Yeah, that, that, that was such an amazing uh, insight, what you just talked about with the making sure it's thumb accessible. Yeah. Um, on your phone. I didn't even think about that, you know, to be honest with you. So that's really good insight right there. And I, I recently had a webinar with another agency and they told us about some of the pitfalls uh, of their, of the universities they partnered with. They, at some of the pages, they didn't have a call to action, which was uh, incredibly foreign yeah. to me. Like, how do you not have a call to action? Right. Um, 
What are some innovative calls to action strategies that have proven effective in guiding prospective students down towards enrollment? Yeah, I, I think a lot of times there's a misconception that a call to action has to be like a button looking link. Um, and those are effective. Um, more often than not, institutions rely on the apply now or request info button in the top right corner of their navigation. And that's every single, every single higher ed institution has has that uh, that pattern on their site. And that's OK. Like consistency is is a UX principle that needs to exist. However, people ignore those. Um, if you if most institutions go and look at like heat maps of who's clicking on those things, those are the those are the calls to action that don't get a lot of play. Uh, what we have found that's really useful is to prompt people in context with your content. So if your content's written well, you are leading people to take an action. And so it could be as simple as, hey, are you ready to learn more about that? Get in touch with an admissions counselor, you know, and that get in touch with an admissions counselor is the call to action. It doesn't have to be apply now or request info. Those are the only two that we use right now, apply or request info. Sometimes like they're like request info about what? And because there's no context around it. So if you, if you think in terms of like writing your calls to action as though they are actual content, they could just be linked within a paragraph. They could be called out at some point. Um, I think that's kind of that that's kind of the the approach that higher ed needs to to take on. I think a lot of times, uh, you know, this this is probably similar to what that other agency was was uh, was experiencing. But a lot of times we'll have uh, news stories or especially like student spotlight stories, and like those stories are great, but they rarely lead back to anything actionable. They're rarely linked to the program that that student was in. There's rarely a call to action to get someone to want to apply. And the whole purpose of that content is to add color and structure and shape to the program that you want them to, uh, to, you know, to attend. Um, and if you're not telling that story and then leading them into an action, whether that is requesting info or applying, or even just going to that program page and learning more about the program, you're, that's just wasted time and effort and money. And the, the amount of effort that goes into creating those student stories is it's, it's a lot. There's a lot that goes into those and doing them really well only to waste that effort by not linking through to something else uh, that's related to it, a program or, or an apply now. It just, it frustrates me so much and we see it all the time. And the same thing with news stories. A lot of times your news stories are tangentially related to something your website's doing link over to the thing, like get people, all of your content should lead to an action. Um, and you know, whether that action is an actual conversion metric or whether that action is going to learn more about a specific thing or getting them into, uh, you know, uh, uh into the, the financial aid process and finding out about tuition, it needs to lead somewhere and we just kind of forget about it when we basically yeah, we did the content and the content is enough but but it's not it, it there is no there is no if you if you write it they will come or if you post it they will come like it it's just not how it works anymore yeah absolutely absolutely yeah i gotta give a shout out to my alma mater the university of florida online they did a spotlight on me and then at the bottom of it Throughout the whole spotlight, it kind of talked about the public relations program. Nice. And then at the bottom of it, they were like, hey, if you want to, you know, if you want to, you know, have a career in public relations and become uh, like Chris Raposa, who's now works at a tech company in Atlanta, um, check out our program page for public, yeah. you know? It's amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah, that sort of thing. It's not hard. It's it's very easy. You just gotta put it in there. Um, yeah. You tell people where they go. What, what's the next step in order to just you know let them enjoy the story and then forget about it uh, in in two hours. It's exactly it. Yeah. So you've been um your agency owner since t- about eleven years now, almost twelve years, and you've seen a lot, I'm sure, over the course <laughs> of your career there. So what are what are some common pitfalls in designing higher ed websites, and how can they be avoided? I think the biggest one is, uh, I, I mean, I think a lot of what we've been talking about are kind of the biggest pitfalls, but I, I think, you know, this kind of like shiny object syndrome that we still have in higher ed that we've had my entire career, something new comes out, um, you know, whether it's, you know, now it's AI, it was chatbots before, it's, it's just, there's always something new, uh, but there isn't the it's it's okay to implement those things, but a lot of times we don't go back and look at the foundation of what's there and make sure that the foundation is solid. So we, if, you know, it, like with AI, um, I was actually just writing a blog post about this, but like with AI, they're just large language models. They're trained on content, chatbots the same way. And we're going to get more of this la- large language model stuff coming into normal chatbots, but they're just, they're trained on your content. So if your content is bad, if your UX is bad, maybe they'll be a little bit better than your UX and your content, but you're still not fixing the problem. And you're, you're actually like paying a lot of money for these tools that are just not going to be working optimally. Right. So I I think the, the pitfall is that we want to implement the next new shiny tool without understanding if our users actually care about that thing and without actually fixing the underlying problems that are going to affect those tools and how they perform uh, in the first place. Um, I think the second biggest pitfall is we are a lot of times more concerned with uh, the 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 nice, fun looking thing. Like we we want uh, back in the day, it used to be like it needs to be dynamic. And like for those of us that code, we're like, well, dynamic is we know what that means. I don't think you mean that. They meant like we want something that moves on the page and like. Okay, fine. Like, but it's it, it's not data centric, right? We're not looking at what our users actually want out of a website. We're assuming that what we as a lot of times, you know, a lot of times we're 10, 20, 30 years older than the prospective students we're going after. And we assume that what we think is cool is the same thing as what they think is cool. And UX practice is is global. Like good UX is good UX. And then you start to to change and mold it to your your specific audience. And so a lot of those things, like I mean, sliders have been discounted for years. Like carousels on a, a homepage, like, you know, in like a hero or whatever, like no one looks at those. They don't, they're not no one's coming to look at a slideshow of of your stuff. They're coming to figure out, do you have the thing I want? Right. As we were talking about earlier. So I, I think like I think that's a big part of it. And then there's just systemic issues in this industry where leadership, um, even not leadership, everyone thinks they're a web designer. And so everyone thinks that they need to have a voice into what the web design is going to be and what the content's going to be on the website. But the reality of it still is that the marketers in this industry are the ones that know what should be on that site because they're the ones that are responsible for filling those classrooms and filling those enrollment funnels and you know, and, and all of that. Um, and they're not given the license and the franchise and the support from leadership to say no. 
Like they, they aren't able to do that. So we go through this a lot as a web design agency. We're working on a homepage uh, design for an institution and we'll, we will optimize. We're like, this is for you to increase your enrollment. And then they've got to send it out to a committee of 15 people or like, oh, we need everyone to have buy-in and all of our stakeholders and everything. And then they get all this feedback about, well, this is missing. And why don't we have this? It's like, well, very specific reasons, but those people were not in the strategy process sitting down with us and listening to what we had to say. And that's, it's, it's so frustrating because then you end up putting out a website or a homepage that is not as uh, performant as it could be. It's not converting as many people as it could because things are getting put in the way, messing up that model. Um, and they're all things that aren't data centric. And so like, you can't test like the baseline and then test those things out. It's just like, well, these are here. So I, I think there's, I, I think there's a real need for uh, the, the marketers in higher ed to be given the license to own that website and to own all the content on that website. And it's, it's just not there yet. Um, and it only costs the institution money. Um, it only costs them students. And the the sooner that leadership understands that and actually works toward giving the marketing the marketing folks on your on their campuses that that power and that you know that franchise to do what needs to be done, uh, the you know the sooner they can turn around their their flagging enrollment numbers or the sooner they can explode the enrollment numbers that they're already working toward. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's great insight. The whole episode was really rich. Thanks for that. And uh, <laughs> say we have a high rate marketer on the audience here listening, and they're overwhelmed, they're short staffed, but they know they got to do something to um, improve that user experience. What is the first practical step they should take to improve user experience on their website? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, I think it really goes back to site speed. That's the number one thing. Like, make sure your website is is really really fast. Um, there are a lot of tools and resources out there. There's you know, there's Google PageSpeed. Uh, I think it's like PageSpeed.web.dev now. Um, there's you know, it's it's built on a product called Lighthouse. There there are all kinds of tools. Just jump on Google and look for a site speed checker. Um, you know, or or call bravery. Like we're happy to do an audit, and we we do that work all the time because it, it's critical. <laughs> like you know, like let that hundred percent of people come in that could that could possibly convert, and then we'll work on the rest of the stuff that you know that knocks them out. But like pull that barrier down. Um, and then I I think beyond that, it really just comes down to testing. It's talking to your users. It's looking at the analytics that you have, making sure you have the right data tracking in place. Um, and, and even that you have your analytics set up so you can actually get data out of it. I think that's a big problem in higher ed too. It's that we have all this data, but do we know how to understand it and parse it? Do we have those those things set up properly? Um, again, Bravery is happy to help set those things up and 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 look at that and, and audit those systems. Um, but I think knowing what's happening with your website is the first step to being able to know what to do with it. Um, and uh, site speed is a problem across the industry. So it's just my number one. Awesome. Yeah, totally. So how can people get in touch with you if they want to partner with you? Yeah. Uh, bravery.co is our website. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Joel Goodman. Um, it'll say that I am the CEO of Bravery. So you can come and, come and, uh, come and add me on LinkedIn. Um, we're about to launch a tool in the next couple of weeks here called SpeedyU, where we're uh, basically doing leaderboards across uh, higher ed websites to see who has the fastest ones, um, which will be 
fun and uh, eye-opening probably across the industry. Uh, but uh, yeah, the folks will start seeing that across uh, across the website um, and across in- the internet. And then uh, we also have a, a short form podcast called Appendix B um, at bravery.co slash podcast um, or wherever people get their podcasts uh, where we talk about some big issue for about 10 minutes uh, every week. Uh, and uh, yeah, just tackle some of these these marketing issues in higher ed. Very good, Joel. Thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for your time. I learned a lot and I know <laughs> the audience learned a lot as well. So thank you very much, Joel. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be here.